This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Jody Vance in for Simi Sarah. Earlier this morning, U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi named two House chairmen who led President Donald Trump's impeachment inquiry as prosecutors for Trump's Senate trial. Intelligence Committee Chief uh, Chairman, that is, Adam Schiff, who led the probe, and Judiciary Chair Rep uh, Gerald Nadler, uh, whose committee approved the impeachment articles, are among the managers of the prosecution. There is a lot happening in U.S. politics today. And for that, we connect with Washington producer and correspondent for Global News and Global National. Reggie Cicchini joins us on the line. Hey, Reg. Good morning. Good morning. When I reached out to you this morning by Twitter DM and said, I'm going to need to talk to you, you're like, oh my gosh, we could talk all day. Bring us up to speed on what's happened today. So just within the last kind of half an hour or so, it became official. Those House managers that were announced earlier today by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi were voted on uh, kind of among a routine business taking place on the House floor, uh, meaning that it is now uh, permanently set in stone. The seven House managers that include those two chairs, they also include uh, Representative Lofgren, who was a staffer during the uh, Watergate impeachment trial and then uh, during the Clinton impeachment and now during the Trump impeachment. So they've got some people with some depth of knowledge on how to move forward with this. This is all going to kind of play out until about 5 o'clock D.C. time when the articles of impeachment will actually be transmitted across the building into the Senate, out of the hands of one chamber, into the hands of another. Can we talk about the uh, document dump as well and Rudy Giuliani? What did he write on a Ritz-Carlton piece of paper, allegedly? Yeah, yeah this this is, uh, this is kind of, you know, this kind of plays into why Nancy Pelosi may have decided that she wanted to hold off on giving giving the impeachment articles over to the Senate so quickly because this stuff was under investigation still and just dumped last night by uh, the House Investigative Committee. So this kind of plays into their hand right now, and it is a bit of damning information uh, towards President Trump, uh, even though, you know, the documents come from Lev Parnas, who is a associate of Rudy Giuliani. Mm-hmm. Lev Parnas has some credibility issues. He's currently facing finance charges due to election campaign stuff. Uh, but at the end of the day, these documents detail uh, the fact that there were these kind of back-channel conversations happening, this shadow foreign policy to try and shake down Ukrainian officials to get information on the Bidens. And these documents also detail uh, that American citizens, notably a uh, man who's running for a Republican representative position uh, on the East Coast of the U.S., may have been kind of putting surveillance on former Ambassador Marie Ivanovich, which has led her to open up a, a trial and an investigate, uh, rather an investigation into this. So there's a lot of information in these document dumps that really can help the Democrats if Senate Republicans will allow the evidence to be introduced. What is the buzz on that in terms of Republicans in the Senate um, perhaps starting to move in a direction that they might want actual an actual fair trial to take place? Yeah, this is really what Democrats have been looking for. The Democrats don't have a majority, but they need for Republicans to kind of join their side to be able to kind of put the motion forward to say, we have the majority, we want evidence, we want witnesses. And there are five politically vulnerable senators uh, on the Republican side who are up for election in November, and it could be to their benefit uh, simply to keep their job 
if they vow to say that they would like to have this witness testimony brought forward to simply say, look, we tried to give the best and most fair trial that we could. Mm. This could be good news for Democrats and could be bad news for Mitch McConnell, who has been kind of towing the line of President Trump to simply say, let's get this over and done with. We don't want new information coming forward. It has been unbelievable to watch and we'll continue to stay up to date on it with you, Reggie. I also want to talk about last night's events, of course, Democratic candidate Elizabeth Warren refusing to shake hands with Bernie Sanders after the seventh Democratic debate. Has it only been seven? Feels like a thousand. Democratic debate last night. It was on CNN. Uh, Sanders denied claims that he said that a woman can't win the 2020 presidential election. Uh, During the increasingly heated debate in Des Moines, Iowa uh, last night, Warren hit Sanders over a recent story that he told her in a private meeting that women cannot win this election. Here is the exchange between uh, Warren and Sanders. Well, as a matter of fact, I didn't say it. Uh, Anybody knows me, knows that it's incomprehensible that I would think that a woman could not be president of the United States. Go to YouTube today. There's a video of of me 30 years ago talking about how a woman could become president of the United States. In 2015, I deferred, in fact, to Senator Warren. There was a movement to draft Senator Warren to run for president. And you know what? I said, stayed back. Senator Warren decided not to run, and I did did run afterwards. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by three million votes. How could anybody in a million years not believe that a woman could become president of the United States? And let me be very clear. If any of the women on this stage or any of the men on this stage win the nomination, I hope that's not the case. I hope it's me. But if they do, I will do everything in my power to make sure that they are elected in order to defeat the most dangerous president in the history of our country. What do you make of that, Reggie? Well, I mean, you know, I was talking to Simi earlier this morning, and I had said that, you know, this is the possible point of political exhaustion for the viewer, because we're not even really talking about Democratic platforms Mm -hmm. anymore. We're simply talking about a tit-for-tat between two possible nominees for the race. That said, uh, it is garnering some headlines right now, and, you know, it, it, it... kind of showed that neither really one of them wanted to kind of fight it out with each other on stage, but ultimately... One of them is not telling the truth here. And, you know, it's kind of up, left up to the public to decide who is actually telling the truth and who is not. I think the simple fact that we're focusing on that and not the substance of what the Democratic platform is goes to show that, you know, you said this is the seventh one. It feels like the millionth one. And it's true because we've kind of lost what the focus is for the Democrats other than, you know, they're trying to beat each other. They're trying to beat Donald Trump. But then what happens when one of them ultimately wins the nomination? What do they have to bring forward because it's a really split and divided party. It certainly is. Now, who do you think or what are you hearing from the pundits in terms of who won last night? Well, so there are a number of different uh, people out there who are saying a number of different things, but the vast majority of them are still saying that Joe Biden kind of came out on top because he didn't have as many gaffes as he has before. And again, this goes to show that we're not talking about like the substance of it. We're simply saying that somebody didn't do as bad as we anticipated them. Some some people are saying that Elizabeth Warren came out on top uh, because she was able to kind of work her way through the Bernie Sanders fight. She was able to put conversations uh, together when it came to uh, the conflict in the Middle East. But 
Amy Klobuchar also gave another strong performance. She doesn't poll very well. She doesn't have the big recognition, but she was in the Midwest. She's from the Midwest, and it was kind of a chance for her to step outside of the kind of Democratic box that everybody's been put in and try to give her best. She didn't come across as scripted. She sometimes gets lost in a little bit of esoteric conversation about the Senate. But at the end of the day, two of the two women that were on stage uh, really both showed that they do have what it takes to take on everybody else. It was really fascinating. I enjoyed the headlines after the fact that uh, Grandma and Grandpa are arguing about Warren and Sanders and and then the glitch that Klobuchar seemed to have in trying to remember her fr- good friend's name in Iowa and uh, Joe Biden, just how often he dropped the when I was vice president and Obama, Obama, Obama. It's, it's interesting how the echo of these debates is largely not about democratic platforms and policy. Absolutely. And, you know, when you hear the conversation of grandma and grandpa, uh, grandma and grandpa are arguing on stage, it kind of brings that louder conversation up to the point where this is a democratic field that has kind of pushed aside all of the people who could bring together uh, kind of a growing minority base across the United States. And we're back mm-hmm. to having, you know, an older population of Caucasian men and women trying to lead a very young and diverse democratic party. And, you know, those conversations are still getting lost simply on the fact that, well, this person didn't do as bad as we thought they could. Right. Certainly not diversity reflected on that debate stage. Uh, Thank you for checking in today, Reggie. As always, a pleasure. Thank you.